Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Book Talk with Kara. I'm Kara Putman and the author of more than 40 books. More than that, though, I read more than 120 books a year. I love to introduce readers to their next favorite book, and I delight in mentoring writers. Book Talk is where readers and writers meet to talk books and why we love them. So join us as we pull back the curtain on how we write books and what we love to read. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Book Talk. Today, I am absolutely delighted to have Amy Lynn Green back. And this time, we're going to talk about her amazing book, The Foxhole Victory Tour. And first off, I want the dress. It's just the cover's great. But what I love about it, yes, we have our matching books. Oh. I love it, too. It's so fun. Yeah, Bethany just did a great job on your cover. But what I loved about this story is it's a USO book. So the tours, the people, the performers who went on tour, and we always think World War II, which this book is firmly set during World War II, one of my favorite and your favorite time periods. But, you know, USO tours are still ongoing. USO, the um, service organization, is still very much a part of serving the military. But you didn't just, like, put Bob Hope in it. I mean, he's, he shows up. But he's a cameo. You are working with performers who aren't just, you know, like, A-stars, A-list stars. Mm -hmm. You're doing more like that people we could imagine ourselves being if we did the 10,000 hours of practice or whatever. So tell us a little bit, Amy, about how did you come up with the idea for this book? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I also have really enjoyed stories of the USO and in research for my other books, I would come across performances um, and their impact on uh, people overseas who were serving during World War II. And I thought, oh, someday I'm going to do a book that's set um, with a group of USO performers. And a lot of the nonfiction books are focusing more on the big stars. But in one of those books, I found the quote from John Steinbeck that starts off uh, the novel that talks about these little unknown groups. And he calls, he says, there's something very gallant about them. Um, just these everyday entertainers who are going out to sing and dance and give the troops some laughs. And while they might not be big names to the rest of America, they are huge names to the men who they're performing for. I just thought, wow, I love that. And that idea kind of sparked like, all right, who could I put in this group yeah. of little known entertainers? Since I didn't have to pick already existing big name stars, I could make whatever personalities and whatever talents and whatever mix of people I wanted, which was a real joy to put into this little variety unit. Well, and I love it because you've got like the prima donna personality of a singer. You've got the vaudeville, you know, the kind of past his prime vaudeville star from like the teens and 20s, but he also then has World War One and kind of the the war wounds in a sense mm -hmm. of uh, World War One, And then you've got a magician mm -hmm. and um, a gal who plays the trumpet, but also is something of a comedian mm -hmm. and a violinist. It says this really unique mix. And I just, I enjoyed every last stinking page of the book. It was I'm so, so much fun to read. I just loved it. It was and a lot of fun to write too. I thought it was. But how did you decide on those different types of entertainers? Because you could go lots of different directions. And so it had to be fun and a challenge to go, this is the combination I'm going to have for my five performers on this mini little tour. Mm -hmm. Well, some of it was just constrained by the realities of which 
what what sort of performers they put in variety units. So you couldn't have somebody who played a piano because they couldn't haul a piano around with them to every stop, at least not for the overseas performers. Um, so you had to have a very portable instrument. So sometimes they were things like accordions, um, could have been another choice, but I went with violin because I wanted to have a classically trained musician um, as one of my performers. And then um, you always have to have somebody to tell the jokes. Um, and and so sticking in my vaudeville performer and having Maggie um, also kind of double as the comedian was fun in there. And also I put in a musician just because I really liked learning about old time magic tricks yeah. um, and going back and watching 1940s, um, like going to find magic ads in the um, magazines that they had and looking at the props he might have used. And did I waste a lot of research yeah. time looking at magic props? Absolutely. But it was a lot of fun. So that's kind of how I did it. I thought, oh, what what kind of show would I be interested in seeing? And kind of slotted the performers into that and made a show out of it. I love it. It, it was such a, an interesting mix. And you gave them all great backstories and all that. Because this really was an ensemble cast. You had a couple who were very strong, kind of point of view characters. But it really was this ensemble feel, which mm -hmm. can be a lot of fun as a writer. But then it's also a challenge because you have to give them all these backstories. And they have to stand on their own. And, you know, they can't just be, oh, now the violinist is showing up or now the magician showing up. They have to have so much more going on. Um, so when you were thinking about like, oh, I'm going to have a magician or, oh, I'm going to have, um, you know, the trumpet player is going to come from the Salvation Army background. Mm -hmm. How did you decide that, okay, I want to pull that in? Because I thought that was such an interesting mm -hmm. idea to have one of the heroines where you know, she's just, she learned how to perform by being part of a Salvation Army PK in a sense. You know, she was a preacher's kid, but it wasn't just a preacher. It was a Salvation Army mm -hmm. captain. Yeah, I actually think that Maggie's background as a Salvation Army daughter came from learning that in World War One, the Salvation Army sent women to the front of World War One and had, and I include this little fact in the book too, um, to serve donuts to the, the troops um, near in the foxholes. And so they were in the line of fire almost, um, and also to share the gospel with the people they encountered. So donuts and the gospel is a pretty great combination. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, oh, well, I'm not writing a World War One novel this time. So I can put that fact in, but in reading more about um, the Salvation Army and their contributions to wars in general, um, I thought, you know what? I have to have a trumpet player anyway. Um, how cool would it be to have her have this background um, and this connection to kind of a sisterhood of women who have been involved in wartime service through the Salvation Army? So that's how I came up with her background. And it was a lot of fun to think um, about how her particular style of music is very different from Catherine's classically trained violin um, performing on the streets with a mission um, as opposed to learning in concert halls and orchestra halls, um, just made for two a very fun contrast between the two of them, even though they're both musicians. And I loved it because it was a very stark contrast in, in lots of different ways as well. Now, you said this story where the USO tours went everywhere. So they could have gone to the Pacific. They could have been in Europe. But you chose to put it in North Africa, which, again, is kind of one of those unsung early places that the U.S. sent a lot of troops. 
How did you pick that? Because I think in some ways Europe tends to be where a lot of books are set. And then there's also the Pacific where a lot of troops were. So why North Africa? Yeah, you're right. I did start out with kind of, you could go anywhere. They went to Alaska. Yeah. They went to um, to the islands in the Pacific and just very different weather patterns and geography and fun little details you can include. But I picked North Africa mostly because I didn't know a lot about the war in North Africa, which maybe it was made made my life harder. Um, that's probably what happened. But I learned so much in doing the research for this book and getting to write about um, the the scenery of Morocco and some of the the food that they would be eating on tour there and um, kind of what what the conditions were and why, like what did France, why was France fighting yeah. America and then not fighting America in North Africa. And so all sorts of political and geographical and cultural details I learned and got to put into this book, um, which was really a lot of fun. And it's it's just beautiful too. Um, I think that might've been the clincher for me was looking through pictures of performers in North Africa and just seeing the things that they would have been seeing and just thinking, wow, like that is just, I want to go visit there. Mm-hmm. And so if I can't visit there right now, I can send my characters there and hopefully readers kind of feel the same way that they get to travel to a place that they wouldn't otherwise be able to go to. Well, I know I definitely felt that way as I was going through the book, because as you were painting Morocco and Tunisia and all these different countries that I'm like, Ooh, like I've I've always thought Casablanca would be kind of cool. I love that movie and all that, but I was like, Oh, there's so much here that maybe I haven't thought enough about going and seeing. And I felt like I was transported there. So you really did create that sense of space where I was like, okay, now some of the camping, some of the, you know, the, (laughs) the planes, you know, firing on them don't necessarily want to experience that, but sure. You know, the rest of it was really quite fun and interesting and and feeling like, you know, you were in the middle of the bazaar and all of that. So it was, it was really well done. But when you think about uh, like the themes for this book, Mm -hmm. what are some of the overarching themes that either did you plan it or did they kind of creep in? And as you were going back through edits and things, you went, oh, wow, I didn't realize that this is kind of what the book was about, but here it is. And it just kind of showed up. What, how does it work for you? I think it's a mix for me. Like I knew going into this because my two main characters are musicians, that there was going to be a theme of what is the purpose of music and how does that bring us closer to God? How does that bring us closer to other people? Um, Does it have to be only hymns that have purpose? Um, And exploring that through one character who does have a Christian background and one who doesn't really um, was really... um, fun for me to think through those questions that I've wondered myself. So that one, I I knew that was going to be a theme. And then I think looking back on it, um, because of the personalities I chose for my characters, I didn't realize that what one of the themes that was going to come out was these are two women who are, are strong women trying to make a name for themselves, trying to find their identity and their place. They're both younger women, um, sort of making some early mistakes in their life and learning from them. But, um, both of them are kind of realizing what is it like, where is my identity and like, how, how do I, how am I defining myself? And Catherine's doing that through a romantic relationship in some ways, or like wanting to find a place where she belongs. And Maggie is just, she is going to achieve things. Um, And both of them kind of realize through circumstances that that's not going to make them happy. And um, yeah, just watching their journey and realizing, Oh, like, 
in so many books where I read strong female characters, they do find their worth in what they achieve or in a romantic relationship. And I'm talking mostly about general market books here um, because that's kind of the message that if you find someone to love or if you find your career and succeed in what your dreams are, then you're going to be happy. But it's just not something I see reflected in life. Um, And so I hope to give kind of a glimpse at a more full picture of what identity and purpose can look like. Um, especially for Maggie, I think she comes to find like, Oh, like my identity can be in God and in taking time to rest. Um, so that one I did not see and pleasantly surprised by. And it it definitely kind of snuck up and Mm -hmm. get when it came, when I saw it, I was like, Oh yeah. It's if it's and I could it resonated with me, even though I'm not in my early 20s anymore. I was like, yep, I'm still wrestling with that. You know, it's something that we all? I think I think women always are wrestling with that idea of mm-hmm. if I just do more or if I just love more, then I'll be enough. And yet Barbie movie or not, we're all like, yeah, no, there's <laughs> always more to do. Thanks so much for listening to this chapter of Book Talk with Kara, where the world of books comes alive as I talk with authors. I love introducing you to my writer friends in each episode because I know their books will captivate your mind and touch your heart. That's also why I love to write. Did you know that I write everything from gripping legal suspense to cozy mysteries and World War II novels? In the pages of my novels, romance intertwines with page-turning suspense and historicals that will transport you to World War II. Ultimately, though, my stories will leave you with hope. And did you know that I have a bookstore up on my website where you can buy the ebooks, paperbacks, and audiobooks direct from me? exclusively for Book Talk with Kara listeners. Enter code PODCAST10 for a special 10% discount on your purchase at karaputman.com backslash shop. That's karaputman.com backslash shop. Now back to this week's episode. Let's shift gears a little bit. Although everybody should run out and get this book because it was fabulous. I just, (laughs) I I truly, truly loved all of it. It was It was one that I'm under a tight writing deadline right now. And I just kept sneaking away to read it because I was like, I'm like, I'm going to go get on the treadmill because it's so good. I wanted to keep reading. Um, Wow. So I don't know that even a good book can get me to be excited about being on a treadmill. So good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. That's my, my secret is I read when I'm on the treadmill. So I mean, maybe I should try it. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So. Um, you've been writing for a while and before Mm -hmm. that, or maybe at the same time you were in marketing and before you made the full switch to being a full-time writer, Mm -hmm. but if you could go back and talk to your younger writing self, Mm -hmm. what would you tell yourself? Um, that's a really good question. I think because I was writing while I was already working in publishing, some of the things that you usually have to tell your younger writer self, I already knew. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. I worked with some great authors who got terrible reviews for their book. Um, And you just know it's not, not every book is going to be for every reader. So I think that was Mm -hmm. helpful to already know going into a writing career. But I think one thing that I'm realizing more now is that, um, that no writing or research or experience even is wasted as a writer. Um, So even though you might say, oh, I had to cut all of these scenes out of my book, um, 
I now can look back and say, oh, but I wouldn't have come across this idea for this character if I hadn't written those scenes. So even though you as the reader may never see them, they still impacted the story in a significant way. And that helps me a lot because I definitely write long and then cut out a bunch of stuff. And so knowing that in the end, that's just part of my process. If it isn't somebody else's process, that's fine too. But for me, those pieces that you don't see become an important part of the final product that you do see. And that's really helpful to remember. I love that. And do you ever take those scenes that don't make it into the book and release them to your like newsletter list as, hey, here's a scene and here's why it didn't make it into the book, kind of like the deleted mm-hmm. blooper scenes on DVDs? Because I like yeah. to do that. I, I, there are a few of them that are long enough and complete enough that I can do that as opposed to just bits here and there. There's a fun one that only got cut because it had no importance to the plot where uh, Judith, the diva singer, goes on a date with an army person and gets accosted because they think she is in the women's army corps and they're not allowed to date officers. Um, And she gives them the what for. And it's a very fun scene, but it had nothing to do with anything. So it had to be cut. So I might sneak that one out to people in the future. My editors even said, you need to save this because this was very fun, completely unnecessary, but very fun. And I can totally see her doing that. And I think I know where it was supposed to be. I think Mm -hmm. I know where it was going to go. probably (laughs) do. So uh, when did you first know you were a writer? That's a good question. I've been writing things for most of my life. I haven't written book length historical fiction um, until probably about five or six years before my first novel was published. So I wrote articles, I wrote short stories, I wrote children's plays, um, like little one act plays for kids. Um, Some of those things were published, some of those things were just for fun. Um, And I think I've always enjoyed storytelling. So if you're asking when I knew I was a storyteller, that was from a pretty early age. And my parents and my teachers all really encouraged me in that. So thanks to all the teachers out there (laughs) for encouraging students to read and write. Um, That's huge. And then I think um, in reading a lot more historical fiction and finding out how much I enjoyed it, I thought, oh, this is something I would like to try. And of course, I knew that my first several attempts would be terrible and they were, and no one will ever see it. But the process was so fun that I just kept at it. I love that. Mm -hmm. And it's, I do think that for a lot of us, there was something in our childhood or in our, you know, early years where we were like, Mm -hmm. we discovered we loved storytelling and we, we loved words. And Mm -hmm. then it's at different points in our adult life where we had the time or the space or the drive Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, and now I'm going to try something with it. And so it's just fun to hear when that spark comes together or the, you know, all the elements come together and we're like, okay, now, and then it happens. So yeah. uh, what's your biggest challenge right now as an author? I remember when I said that I write way too much and then cut all of the things. Yeah. That's great. I'm currently working on a book that's half set in World War One and half set in World War II, um, which is really fun. It's a mother-daughter story. So the mother's storyline is in World War One, and then she and the daughter are in World War II, um, which is great. But um, I told my husband when I planned out this book, it turns out that I just planned a full novel in both. Um, timeline. (laughs) And now I have to figure out how to get it into one novel length. Um, So I think my biggest challenge right now is um, 
the end and, and you know you have this the the time you have to write one novel and I'm writing two of them it turns out and then cutting out half of it so um probably good time management would be a, a struggle for me now <laughs> because I've got a little one at home and that always makes things um a challenge but in a good way like it's not that yeah. having a toddler in the house is an obstacle to my writing it's just one of the things that's an important part of my life yeah. um that the writing has to happen at the same time and we'll figure out exactly how that's going to work. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those great challenges. Yep. And it'll shift and it'll morph, but the writing two books in one, yeah, that would be, I think you're going to have lots of chapters you can give away to readers. Yeah, I so far have cut out a whole half of a book. So oh, yeah, and oh, that's no, it's okay. this is how I do it. It's not, I don't <laughs> recommend it. I always tell people when they ask about my writing process, I'll say, I'll describe it. But remember, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Yeah. So when you think about, um, you know, when you're writing and like mm-hmm. your process and all of that, yeah. what brings you joy? Because it's a mm-hmm. lot of work. Oh, sure. And like, you know, even describing your process of where you're writing like two books and you know, you're going to cut a lot Mm -hmm. out of it. What in that gives you joy? So that on the Mm -hmm. days you're like, I just had to cut a scene that I really loved and that my editors loved, but we all agreed it has to come out. So where do you find that joy that keeps you going when you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. that wasn't fun. Honestly, weirdly, one of the things you just described is one of the things I enjoy. (laughs) I love it because I like cutting things and I like the editing process. The blank page is what's sometimes intimidating to me and saying like, oh, I wrote all these scenes out of order. Now I've got to fill in the blank spaces in between the things that I knew were going to happen. So that's the harder part for me. The fun part is saying, oh, like I knew something was wrong here, but my editors told me what it was and now I can fix it. And that just feels so good to be like, oh, like different. And and when they send it to early readers and they give feedback that I think, oh, that was the piece I was missing. Um, That and there are some things I love about research and some things I don't. So the things I don't love as much are, oh, no, I've got to find the distance between these two cities on roads that no longer exist Um, and things like that. Like the, the nitty gritty details are not as fun. They're important and I still do them. But, you know, we all clean our toilets and nobody like loves that. (laughs) Um, Hopefully we all clean our toilets. But yeah, exactly. um, Good point. (laughs) But the things that I love are when I stumble across a personal story that just really gets me excited, whether I'm able to use it in a book or not of somebody's. Somebody will send me um, their love letters from their grandparents in World War II to read or I'll find a research gem in a book that I'm reading of just a fun little anecdote of something that happened in the North Africa conflict. And I think, oh man, I just really enjoy history too. So those are the things I think that are most fun for me in the writing process. I love that. That's awesome. So, okay. A couple quick questions as we wrap up. Mm -hmm. Um, Sweet or salty? Uh, Usually sweet. Yeah. Yep. And tea or coffee? Tea. I don't even like coffee. Okay. So what kind of tea? Are you an herbal tea or a black tea? Hot cinnamon spice tea every day. That is a fun one. Mm -hmm. It's the tea that tastes least like tea. So... (laughs) 
you don't like coffee, but you want the tea that tastes the least like tea. I have to, I live in Minnesota and it's cold and you have yeah. to have something warm to drink. So you've got to go with something. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. true. Um, plant a platter or pantser? I am like you're so kind of in far into pant. Well, yeah, I have like some vague ideas, but they never end up being the ideas I use. So I'm definitely a pantser. And then how do you celebrate when you get to that magical two words, the mm-hmm. end? Uh, usually by that point it's deadline month. And so I'll have some chocolate ready to reward myself. And also I've been saying no to like playing board games with my husband and friends for a long time, because that's my thing that I do for fun. Mm. And so we will have a board game party. Okay. So now I have to know what's your favorite board game recently. I mean, I, I have, I have lots, but the one I've been playing most recently is wingspan, which is a bird collecting board game. So oh, I haven't heard of that one. It's really pretty and it's fun and it's very relaxing because even if you lose, you have beautiful birds. Oh, fun. Because we like Villainous and Settlers of Catan. Uh, Yeah, those are all great too. But they're not very relaxing because they're competitive. No, this is is relaxing. That's why I like it after deadline week. Yeah. Just collect birds. (laughs) That does sound great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, especially on release week of the Foxhole Victory Tour. And y'all, I'm really serious when I say I loved this book. It was wonderful. I felt so transported to North Africa and just the whole USO tour. So well done. It was a fabulous read. Thank you so much. And thanks for the great questions. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Book Talk with Kara. Come back next week to find your next great book and author to try.